Welcome to CS Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 188 of the CS Radio podcast. I'm J. Michael DeAngelis. And I'm Natty Leach. And we are back after a fall break hiatus. Sam, how was your fall break? It was a great time. Went to Southern California, saw the Lakers. Oh, hey, the I was close. I thought you went to the Poconos. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no, no. he went to the Poconos. I'm like, no, I thought he was no. staying in Philly. When went I to went the Lakers Orange, game. Went to Orange County in SoCal. It was a good time. I was on the beach, getting some good relaxation. Now, I miss a lot because now it's midterm season. So, happens, but we're back, back on the grind. November fast approaching. Yeah. I felt bad with my student points. I was half. I don't know. It's fun to say like, oh, you excited for fall break because most students are like, yeah, I'm really excited. I get to do whatever. But like I had a decent, a non-zero number of people who are like, I don't get a fall break because it's midterms. And it I felt, happens. It I happens. felt bad. Their midterms are, I know Michael has railed against midterms in the past. Yeah, they, I, I, I have. I will say I've noticed a change in the campus <laughs> culture, but longtime listeners will know that I, you know, basically the first week of classes would hit and yeah. my, my students would go, oh, it's midterms. I was like, no. And then you'll hear that all the way through December. <laughs> Mid-term means something very specific. Um, so I have, I, have heard, I have heard less of that. So I'd like to think CS Radio made, yes. made a, a, a real positive change. Good. Well, we actually have uh, a guest today who, who may recall when everything was a midterm. Uh, Natty, tell us about our guest today. Our guest today is Jeremy Cohn, who is at Moody Tongue Brewing Company. And he's a Wharton alum. Um, had a pretty interesting path on his way to being a part of Moody Tongue and really excited to talk to him today about what that path was like, reflecting back on his time at Penn and how that's led him through his career journey so far. So, Jeremy, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. Jeremy, what year did you uh, graduate? 2009. Maybe you can start by talking a little bit about your time at Penn and what, what you studied and what you thought your career path was going to be when you were a, an undergrad. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I always, uh, I've always enjoyed my time at Penn and at Wharton and, you know, obviously all the folks that I met and, and had an opportunity to, to learn alongside, you know, I, um, I studied undergrad, uh, obviously in the Wharton school, uh, and I did three concentrations. I did uh, finance management and real estate. Uh, and I almost did a psych minor. I just ended up dropping one class in my, uh, uh, senior year, just because I thought what I, uh, the, the coursework was pretty interesting. Uh, but no, you know, I, I, I guess I was originally pursuing what for most folks was a more traditional career path. And, you know, I ended up uh, directionally looking at real estate. I started off at, uh, uh, in the investment banking division of Lazard Frere uh, in the real estate group. Uh, and after about a year, I moved over uh, to Vornado, uh, a large REIT and their acquisitions group. Uh, working on you know larger square larger scale acquisitions uh, and recapitalizations for you know everything from multi billion dollar properties you know think like my biggest project by size was probably six 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 Fifth Avenue New York um, to retail investments uh, you know uh, Vornado owned uh, at the time part of Toys R Us uh, my first project was uh, helping with the invest their investment in J C Penney. Um, so some retail work as well. Um, so, you know, before I transitioned in, into the world of hospitality, my background is a little bit more traditional in nature, but my coursework fairly broad. And that's, you know, one of the things that I really appreciated and, and enjoyed it at Penn was the ability to take, you know, classes from across the business spectrum uh, as part of, uh, uh, you know, the, the framework or the groundwork, uh, you know, for my degree. And I think your experience is going to stand out to a lot of students who often think about 
those traditional paths like investment banking or real estate, um, but also have lots of other interests and don't always know how to visualize what does that mean for what I want to do several years out. Um, they can often see the clear pathways to an area like investment banking um, and a lot of things within financial services for that first like one to two years out. But after that, often looks kind of nebulous to them for how they're going to move throughout that or how they're going to really showcase the things that interest them the most after that first jump. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, I, I think that uh, just by virtue of the, not just the coursework, but, uh, you know, the folks who come and recruit at Penn and, you know, you're in a little bit of a cycle when all the folks, uh, you know, a year older than you, two years older, three years older than you, you know, are, are working at uh, similar companies. Uh, I think it's very easy to, uh, you know, get caught up. I, I don't want to say it that way because it's not negative, but to, you know, find yourself in, you know, one of these more traditional career paths, whether it's investment banking, consulting, you know, et cetera. Um, but, you know, a lot of folks here are 100% right. You know, there are a number of friends I have from Penn who, you know, were passionate about other areas and have gone on to start their own businesses uh, in, in various places or, you know, work in companies that otherwise would have been considered atypical. And, you know, again, that's what's great about, you know, an education at Penn. I, I don't know if this is how it's still structured, but when I uh, originally applied, I remember part of my, you know, application essay uh, was speaking to the fact that I, I think it's like as part of the core or uh, I can't remember what it was called. You're required to take this breadth of, of, of coursework yes. um, before you specialize, um, you know, and in order to get a, uh, a concentration, it's only an additional like four, I think, or six, you know, classes within uh, a specific field. So, you know, the bulk of your coursework overlaps with other folks. So, yeah, it's, it's very easy, I think, at Penn and at Wharton specifically um, to kind of fall in line. And, you know, not not to mention, obviously, you know, the, the coursework in those fields, whether it's finance or otherwise, is, you know, bar none, some of the best in the country, if not the world. But, um, you know, it's, it's very easy, I think, to fall into these traditional paths, because that doesn't mean, you know, you should ignore other areas that you're interested in. Right. And uh, some folks recognize it and and, you know, uh, are, are able to kind of push for it while they're in school and some folks do it afterwards, but, you know, no knock on, on any of the other career paths, because I'll tell you, you know, I, I look back obviously to a lot of my coursework for what I do day to day, even in the restaurant and brewery world. Um, but similarly, you know, I learned a lot working at Lazard and Vornado, if, if not just from, you know, uh, uh, uh you know, uh, like, just day-to-day -day working with folks, but, you know, becoming a bit more of a professional working with other trades, you know, service folks like attorneys and whatnot, you know, exposure that you don't even have in the undergrad world. So, you know, I, I certainly grew a, an incredible amount in, you know, the couple of years after school before I kind of jumped ship and, and went in this other wacky direction. Um, but, you know, it's all good experiences. And the good thing is, you know, the Penn education and, community and network really set you up for, you know, a, a lot of success. I mean, it's a good foundation, both from a knowledge standpoint and, and a, you know, a personnel standpoint. So when you were an undergrad, did you already have uh, an interest or somewhere in the back of your mind uh, in the, the hospitality industry? And regardless of whether that's a yes or a no, um, what made you pivot into that industry after a couple of years in more traditional finance and real estate roles? Yeah, you know, I'll be honest with you. I like to eat and I like to drink, but I never thought I'd end up in hospitality. <laughs> it's probably one of the last, um, uh, you know, industries I thought I'd end up in. In fact, I remember very specifically in my first marketing 
uh, 100 class uh, during the first recitation, probably because it's college students, you know, you read a, uh, a a case like, a you know, an HBS case or something uh, on beer. And I remember the purpose of the study um, was that they took, you know, 50 or 100 different, you know, beer experts uh, and they had them blind taste, you know, five or six different beers. And what they showcased was even ex within experts, there was no, you know, discernible difference for anyone to understand, you know, which was one brand versus another. And the point of the conversation was, um, you know, to understand the difference between products with which are commoditized, you know, compete on factors like cost and, and products which are differentiated, you know, which are more, uh, you know, uh, you know, differentiated on different value components, right? And what's happened in the world of beer is, uh, you know, you've seen a lot of transition over the last 20 years. But frankly, when I was, you know, graduating from college, I was like, why would you ever want to go into an industry where you compete on cost, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if you're not the, the big guy or gal in the room, you know, you already have a significant disadvantage, you know, but beer and hospitality and, you know, craft beer and hospitality, I'll speak to more broadly now that we have several restaurants, um, have transitioned a lot over the last 20 years and they've become very differentiated uh, in many respects. And, you know, folks not only understand different breweries, but different beer styles, you know, and uh, flavors and aromatics, you know, et cetera, that they're interested in. So, no, I, I never would have thought I would have ended up in hospitality, nonetheless, craft beer. Um, but I will tell you, I always had an interest in entrepreneurship and okay. uh, my concentration within management was in entrepreneurship. Uh, and so I did take entrepreneurship focused coursework, you know, like the finance of entrepreneurship and whatnot. Um, and when I had graduated, you know, shortly after I graduated and moved to Vornado, you know, I was working for a time actually with a roommate of mine, uh, Samir Kertain, who was also an alum of uh, Penn, uh, at looking at a couple different startup ideas. And, you know, living in New York, we looked at everything, you know, from fashion to food. Um, so, you know, my interest had been really more fundamentally in the idea of starting a business. Um, and that's where I speak to like the breadth of the education at Penn and Wharton really being helpful is you're, you know, you're forced to take accounting coursework, you're forced to take marketing coursework, you're forced to take, you know, finance coursework. And, you know, even though you may specialize in one area or like have a concentration per se, you know, you build this broad understanding of business, which really you can utilize uh, you know, for, for many reasons and in, in, in many aspects. So anyways, uh, I'm probably getting off topic here a little bit, but no, I, I, I never would have thought I would end up in hospitality or beer. Uh, uh, and, but I will tell you my, my foundational interest was more in entrepreneurship, uh, and starting a business or working with a young business to grow. Um, I, by good fortune, uh, was, uh, I guess partnered with my first cousin, his name's Jared, um, who has a classical training in the culinary arts and was a brewmaster starting us open. And he at the time was looking to start, you know, his own company. And so I said, you know, hey, man, send me a couple cases of beer and I'll put a business plan together for you because, you know, that's what that's what I learned to do, you know. And the more I delved into, you know, at the time what was going on uh, in craft beer, I saw what I thought was a really special opportunity. Um, you know, and why not take an opportunity to work with not only someone so talented, but you enjoy working with, you know, so much on a day to day basis. And, you know, I, I think that's part of the fun part of it, too. But, you know, truthfully, I, I ended up in hospitality more by way of my my cousin, uh, but in, I would say, entrepreneurship by way of my education. And you mentioned, you alluded to earlier that you gained really valuable skills for the past places you're at for Vornado and at Lazard. 
Um, could you talk about like what those skills or what things stand out that you were able to really put into practice when you were then making that entrepreneurial pivot after being at those two companies? Yeah, I, th- I think I think in your first few years after school, there's uh, there's a development and maturity from a business perspective um, that you see really in anyone, probably a lot of different roles, you know, just by virtue of having the good fortune of being able to, you know, take a job at a company like Lazard or Vornado, you know, I was able to work with some of the most, you know, intelligent and well-regarded folks in, in, you know, I I was living in New York at the time. So, and, you know, in New York in finance and law, you know, in accounting, et cetera, you know, and, and so I'm having conversations with folks who are two and three times my age almost, you know, about, you know, very particular points. I was given a lot of, um, I would say, uh, responsibility at a very young age uh, at both companies. And just by uh, virtue of being given the responsibility, you're kind of thrown in the deep end and you're forced to learn. You know, when I was at Fornado, for example, I worked with one other individual to help put together the programming and the planning uh, to sell a two, two and a half billion dollar portfolio of real estate. That is a very large multiple of what was in my bank account at the time. So, you know, I, I don't get me wrong. I, I, I certainly studied real estate and finance. I've been working at that point for two, three years. But, you know, to have the ability to work with uh, a number of very intelligent folks, you know, you you learn very quickly uh, just by surrounding yourself with very smart people, too. Uh, and by surrounding yourself with very smart people in different fields. And for me, the first couple of years were, you know, primarily uh additive to uh you know my skill set because of you know who i was surrounding myself with and the projects that i were working i was working on you know to have that sort of responsibility at such a young age forces you to really develop it in a lot of meaningful ways you know and when i left vornado to start moody tongue you know the first thing we had to do was i'd buy you know nearly a million dollars worth of, of brewing equipment we had to sign you know a lease with uh, a small yet institutional landlord you know, I had to understand how to negotiate these terms. I had to understand, you know, what points from a procurement standpoint would be important to us. So, you know, you do learn, certainly learn a lot in school, and that's really the foundation uh, of your education, right? That's the core principles of accounting, finance, you know, marketing, et cetera. But then I started to see the application of some of those principles uh, in, in the real world. Um, and, you know, there's a big difference between the real world and the theoretical world. Uh, and, you know, you become a lot more comfortable having conversations with folks. And then when you're comfortable, you become more confident. Um, so, you know, it was a good transition period because it forced really that element of maturity and uh, introduced, you know, a lot of folks to me, uh, many of whom I still keep in touch with today, who I think are very intelligent and I'm able to learn from, you know. Can you uh, give us and, and our listening audience sort of a a picture of what your your day or, or a week is like for you in your current role yeah uh i i think i'm at, at this point you know so technically uh you know i run the business side of the operation i guess i my title is ceo uh but um really it's everything from you know i'll give you a couple different examples you know financing right if we're raising money for any purpose that may be you know, issuing equity to open a new restaurant. It may be, you know, receiving a loan, uh, you know, you know, backed by our equipment or financed in a couple different ways. It may be over the last few years during COVID, you know, ser- securing various grants from, you know, city, state and federal uh, programs. Uh, on accounting, uh, you know, I work with, we have an out of house accountant, uh, bookkeeper and accounting company um, who keeps our books clean. 
And, uh, you know, I would say your income statement, your balance sheet or your roadmap for success, you know, and, and accounting is incredibly important. Uh, and so I work with our accountant to make sure all transactions are handled accordingly. I understand at this point, not only industry margins, but our margins to know, you know, what to look for that might be off and then understand how to dig into the financials to understand or learn, you know, when there are problems that need to be fixed or conversely, when you're doing something well that you should expand upon. Uh, you know, I oversee our marketing, which, you know, I work with uh, our our designer to work on branding elements like bottle labels and, you know, uh, advertisements and whatnot. I work with uh, our uh, social media manager, you know, who manages our Instagram uh, and Twitter. And now we have a TikTok account, um, you know, and I work generally on growth opportunities. Right. If we're looking, you know, we earlier this year opened a restaurant in the West Village neighborhood of New York, uh, Moody Tongue Sushi, you know. If we're looking to expand, which, you know, we are looking to expand, you know, my role is to go in and, you know, perhaps tour spaces and then start to submit, you know, letters of intent, LOIs, you know, with different, you know, deal terms and then start to negotiate a lease um, and then start to put the underwriting together for the business and then, you know, work with others on my team, uh, like my cousin Jared or, you know, other managers in order to start to hire and build a team and, um um, so you can see like day to day, you know, I can do anything from, you know, touring a space in New York to, you know, reviewing our books with our accountant to, you know, talking to either current or potential future investors um, or, you know, working with our team on existing operations. You know, we have a great I would say we have, you know, two great teams at our, our two restaurants right now and we have a great team in the brewery and, you know, we've got. 12 wholesalers around the country and, you know, one internationally who are purchasing our beer regularly. So maintaining those relationships and, you know, ensuring that we've got, you know, beer planned correctly from a production standpoint, uh, you know, in terms of volume, uh, making sure, you know, from a restaurant standpoint that, you know, um, you know, directionally, uh, you know, everything looks good. In other words, you know, making sure margins are in the right place, you know, working with vendors, you know, working with, you know, equipment manufacturers we may be speaking with if we're looking to, you know, rehaul a part of the kitchen, et cetera. So, you know, my day, it's like my mom kind of asked me, what do I do? And it's, you know, at the end of every day and every freaking day is different. And it's, you know, she gets upset because I'm rarely able to give her a single answer. Uh, but for better or worse, I could come in one day and, you know, the next day that have two completely different experiences. And, and I like that, to be honest with you, you know, you're forced to juggle a lot. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's I think that makes it fun. And, uh, you know, I I get you know, I get to get excited about opportunities six months before anyone else knows about them, you know, which is the hard part about it. You know, we're releasing a new beer we're opening a new restaurant, you know, but that's part of the fun part, you know, is figuring out how to lay down the groundwork and execute in a successful manner, be reasonable, but also, you know, just, you know, build profit for our investors and, you know, build a real business. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the the variety of your uh, your job, it sounds extremely exciting to me. That's what I look for in, in a role as well for a certain kind of person that might drive them crazy. But for another kind of person, <laughs> that's exactly the world that we live in. I'm glad that you mentioned so many different roles within your organization, because I think something that we, um, you know, sort of deal with all the time when we're advising students is the the sort of blurring of uh, industry versus job function and and not thinking that the sort of role that they want to go into exists across various industries so someone might say well you know just sort of like you said well i love food and drink but i don't i don't want to be a chef or a, you know i don't but oh 
wait, there's finance roles and there's marketing roles. Um, I work a lot with students who want to go into entertainment and they're like, but I'm, you know, I've really been focused on finance or whatever they're studying. And you think, well, if you go to a big studio, they absolutely need accountants and investors and people who are smart about finance. So there's so many different roles. So about how how big is your team now? Um, so we've got across uh, both cities, probably about uh, 60 folks. Um, and I, I will tell you, you know, we put a lot of attention in, into building out our team. You know, we have a, a lot of people uh, who specialize in a lot of different functions. Uh, but for any small business like ours, a business is really only as good as an extension of the individuals who make it up. Uh, and so, you know, we put an incredible amount of attention into the team that we build and the folks that we hire and that we that we partner with. You know, I'll, t I'll tell you something, though, in, in regards to something you just said there. You know, I think that's and I, maybe I'm not being specific enough, but that's one of the best parts about a Penn education or a Wharton education is, you know, the broad applicability of what you learn. Uh, and, you know, I'll tell you, when I was debating whether or not to leave Vornado, uh, I remember talking with a friend who hadn't gone to Penn and he was like, I don't understand you Wharton kids. You know, he was like, well, <laughs> you're supposed to have a Bachelor of Science in economics. Right. And the first thing you learn in econ is supply and demand. Right. And you all come to, to New York and you work in finance. That's a high supply, which should <laughs> drive down your price. Right. You know, conversely, you know, look at some of these other industries. That, that was my takeaway. Right. Was in hospitality. You don't see many Penn grads in hospitality. Right. So there's a there's a real economic benefit to, you know, applying a skill set like that, which is which is taught at Penn and Wharton. Right. In other industries where you don't have folks with those skill sets. You know, when I first started Moody Tongue, uh, we had a, a we had a member on our team who said to me once ago, Jeremy, there's a reason it's called the craft beer industry and not the craft beer business. Right. Mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. I just think it was such a big surprise to me that someone would say that. But it is a business at the end of the day. Right. And we're trying to build like I, I share with many folks on our team you know, a business that everyone can turn into a career and will be around for the long run, right? The first beer we ever created as another kind of aside was uh, our shaved black truffle Pilsner. The most expensive beer per ounce ever created. It's got a whole backstory. If you enjoy truffles, it is one of the most indulgent beers that could ever be created. But I think it's a great representation of what I'm speaking to because the first thing that Jared, my cousin said to me was, I'm not, you know, I'm going to do what I do. I'm not going to cut corners. I'm not going to order, you know, fruit, you know, uh, you know, fruit, whatever additives out of magazines. You know, I'm going to use the best quality ingredients, et cetera. You have to figure out how to make it work. Mm -hmm. And here he threw at me doubling down day one, our entire freaking business on the most expensive beer ever created. <laughs> and I had to figure out with him, of course, how to merchandise this, right? How to price it, you know, how to uh, sell it. Uh, Etc. Right. It, we weren't just coming out with another Pilsner or IPA that we're, you know, taking over to, you know, a retailer or a restaurant. You know, this was a beer that ultimately sold for, I think, 120 a bottle. So, you know, we we obviously had a fantastic product, but I had to figure out how to apply my skill set from the business side in a meaningful way that would actually help turn this into a business. You know, so anyways, that's I great. That really that sort of thing sounds like a real life application mm -hmm. of a problem you might tackle in a Wharton class, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. 
And a lot of what you're talking about, I think about with our students too, who have that entrepreneurial spirit where there's stress involved with when you're doing something different or doing something new or just doing something on your own. I think a lot of what you said just now speaks to how the skills that you gain along the way, whether that's through your education here at Penn and Wharton um, or through the experiences that you have um, after after school here um, through your jobs will help you with that. Is there anything that stands out that really helped you take that leap away from moving through a more corporate position to taking things on and doing it all yourself in a way? Yeah. Um, I'll tell you another anecdote. Uh, if you don't mind, uh, when I first graduated uh, from school, uh, I moved in with a, a friend of mine in New York and we got a great deal on this place and I was looking at mattresses, right? I had to get furniture and everything. And I remember I was torn because I was probably like most college students gonna go to Ikea and get a mattress for $200, right? That's what I did. <laughs> which, which is pretty inexpensive, right? And I remember uh, I had my, my dad had come to town to help me move uh, and everything. And I'd fallen in love with a mattress that was a little over $1,000 uh, at a store in New York. I was like, dad, this thing is so comfortable. Like, you know, it's just, it's such a world of a difference. And I remember he turned to me and said, Jeremy, well, if you think about it, you spend a third of your life in your mattress. It's worth investing in, right? What's the extra $800 as, you know, for relatively speaking for an investment that you, that you spend so much time in, right? Well, it wasn't until later that I really realized the other two thirds of your life are spent in your job, you know? And if you don't enjoy what you do or who you're working with, you know, at some point, not to be morbid, right? But life is life is definite, right? Right. So, you know, I, I did enjoy what I was doing previously. I enjoyed who I worked with, you know, but but starting a business, working with my cousin, you know, and other great people and 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 having the opportunity to to build something like Moody Tongue is really what would excite me to get up in the morning. And that was the realization I came to. You know, and, and 10 years ago, I was like, who the heck knows what's going to happen? Is this a one year journey, a five year journey? I mean, we're coming on 10 years now, you know, knock on wood, of course. But um, I'm not to say it's not without anxiety, you know, taking a different path. I certainly had a lot more hair back in the day, although not that I ever had a ton. But, um, you know, you, you, you get one life and most of it is spent in your career. So you might as well enjoy what you're doing and you might as well, you know, pursue something you're passionate about. So, you know, again, I, I was fortunate to have the kind of broad education that Penn provides, because like you're saying, uh, you know, Michael, it, it, it can be a, it can be applied in a broad variety of industries and outlets. And, you know, like I originally ended up in at Lazard, you know, I ended up in investment banking, a lot of other folks. And maybe you could say I kind of focused because I was in the real estate group. I didn't go into the generalist group. You know, but you can take this skill set and you can apply it in a lot of different ways, make a living, be happy and pursue something you're actually passionate about and interested in. I think that is so important. Natty and I have discussed this multiple times recently, uh, certainly over the years, it's come up over and over again where you're talking with a student and they say, well, I got this return offer for some big company that I interned at and it's a really nice offer and I feel I should take it all right, well, what's holding you back? Well, I hated it there. I was really unhappy and it was un it was stressful. Like, oh, well, then yeah. why would you go back? Well, because it's a good yeah. offer. Um, and I think, yeah. you know, then it's 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 up to us to kind of talk them th through that and say, yeah. is it that good of an offer that it's worth being unhappy? And where can you apply the same skill set and maybe not be unhappy? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's 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 tough when I, I certainly saw my fair share of those, you know, when I was in school and when I was graduating from school. And, uh, you know, for better or worse, I think a lot of these companies, you know, make very uh, lucrative offers to young students. And that can very easily, I think, uh, blur, uh, you know, folks' perspectives of the right path. Um, but, you know, I think good people always end up in good places. And as long as you're passionate and thoughtful and, and you care about what you do, you know, if it's not the first job you take, you know, you can transition, you know, thereafter. And, and, you know, having a Penn education, you know, uh, certainly opens a lot of doors. It is a huge community. You know, we need more Penn folks here in Chicago, but, um, you know, it's a huge community with a network really in every major city and a lot of other cities, you know, so that if you do find that you took the wrong career path, you can typically transition. And it's made up of such wonderful people who are always open to conversation. So, yeah, but I, I certainly heard my fair share of that. I don't know that I would have jumped into trying to start a brewery when I was 22. Sure, sure. Uh, I'm de definitely glad I had the experience beforehand. Um, but it doesn't mean that I loved what I was doing, you know, my first job as much as I do right now. Well, I think that's another yeah. really great point that you raised is that whatever decision you're making right after graduation um, is not locking you in for the rest yeah. of your life. Those days are long, long past. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, you may end up doing the same thing for the rest of your life. And if that's what you love, that's amazing. But you might yeah. pivot a couple of years in and, uh, you know, head in a completely different direction like you did. But at the same time, using your work experience and your education from Penn to build something really successful. And you mentioned the idea of like blurring the line between the offers. I think that's one of the things that makes it so hard to make that decision for undergrads when they're first looking at their that first offer they have on the table because they mix everything all together of this first decision being the final decision of their life. Um, so it's really great yeah. to hear you talk and reflect upon how those pivots can and do happen. It's something that Michael and I talk about a lot. It's something that we talk about with students, but I don't always get the sense that they believe us until they are actually able to see real life examples like yours it is true now mind you i graduated in may of 2009 which was arguably from a yeah. career standpoint one of the worst times absolutely to graduate, yeah you know so having a job offer on the table was obviously a, a huge you know something to be hugely grateful for um but you know um the world changes and and you know i've been i've been fortunate to have the opportunity obviously to pursue something i'm passionate about and obviously care about and, and try and build something special. So, but yeah, no, I, I totally, I totally understand. <laughs> well, you've offered up so many great uh, uh, pieces of advice already, but before we wrap up, is there anything else, some piece of advice that you would like to pass on to our, our Penn students who are listening and our, our, our audience uh, at large? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, I'd say two things. Uh, sorry, I'm gonna give you two pieces of advice. I'm not really answering your question. But the first is, you know, the extent you're still in school, I mean, take as much coursework as you can, you know, and really, I could not emphasize enough the benefit of the breadth of coursework that I took while in school, in terms of building an understanding, I still have met, I still call back, recall in my memory today, things that I learned in school, you know, now almost 15 years ago, Right. And, you know, had I studied, you know, uh, at a different university or uh, pursued a different degree, you know, I may not have had that benefit of that real breadth, you know, because as you can see from my, you know, broad role of responsibilities, 
I handle a lot of different things, you know? So, so there's a real benefit to actually exploring and taking classes that you may not have otherwise thought, you know, would be, would be helpful. And also, you know, that, uh, taking finance 400 or 600 or 800, you know, there's, there's a benefit to going sideways in addition, you know, breadth in addition to depth. Um, the second thing is kind of your to your point is you know don't be afraid to pursue you know an industry you're you're, you're interested in and uh, I, I think the first couple of years yes out of school uh, are great for maturation and learning and 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 you know building your kind of business under general business understanding um, but you don't need to look left and right you know keep your blinders on uh, and 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 think about what you're interested in and I think a lot of folks unfortunately it, it does become easy to fall into you know the common path of what others perceive as as successful but the question from a big picture standpoint is you know what really drives you what are you interested in at the end of the day you know I know a lot of people say this and it is what it is, but it's true. You know, if you enjoy what you do, it's not going to seem as much like work. Now, let me tell you, I work around the clock and my incredibly lovely wife and my, you know, friends, you know, know that that's the case. And sometimes it's, it's, it's a total pain, but I, I like what I do, you know, and, and that might not be the case if, if I pursued a different career path. Um, so yeah, it, it takes a little bit of, uh, I think chutzpah to uh, just kind of bite the bullet sometimes and go against the grain, but uh, it, it certainly pays off and uh, pays off in the long run as you build your career and, and you actually spend time doing something you're interested in. So. Well, Jeremy, we have a tradition here on CS radio. We have a, a traditional last question for every guest, which is if you could have your own podcast, what would it be about? Oh, it would be different recipes and different types of food that oh, people uh, make be, at home. I'd that would be, I'd be your first subscriber. I, I want everyone's secret recipes at home for all their best dishes. Like, don't get me wrong. I run the business side over here. I'm not nearly as talented as my cousin, Jared, or our chefs. I, 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 uh, I, I try to watch and learn, but I take as much info and hints as I can. So it would definitely be to have everyone's insider secrets on uh, what they're preparing at home. <laughs> All right. I'll be your first guest. I'll give you my grandmother's <laughs> chicken cutlet recipe. Ooh, nice. That's <laughs> my, it. that's my secret recipe. What do you have I a secret it. recipe, Natty? Man, I don't really know. I make uh, my mom used to make a lot like a mustard chicken, so kind of oh, like chicken wow. cutlet, but more like smaller pieces, but breaded in like this mustard breading. And I loved that when I'm I was a kid. But you sounds said, awesome. You got a secret recipe? Sounds like we got a potluck for Thanksgiving. Just Chipotle, no. <laughs> Chipotle. <laughs> Chipotle. <laughs> uh, that's all right, Sam. You're still in college. All right, Jeremy. <laughs> thank you so much. This conversation has been great. Um, where can folks learn more about you and your company? Yeah, uh, let me say, if you find yourself in Chicago, please stop by our restaurants. We're in the South Loop neighborhood just by McCormick Place. If you find yourself in New York, please come by our restaurant, Moody Tongue Sushi in the West Village. I am uh, split between the two locations, but if you ask for me at either location, all Penn alums, I can say, are always VIP or, you know, Penn folks. Uh, and uh, other than that, we distribute our beers in a number of states, so keep your eyes out on the shelves for Moody Tongue. And uh, if I can ever help anyone with anything, I'm always happy to be a resource for students, alums, or others in the community in, in any way that I can. We appreciate it so much, and we appreciate you being a guest today. Uh, this has been a great conversation. 
Uh, we'll be back again next week. And then in two weeks, it's my favorite Austin. episode of the year. It's the uh, Austin Writers Conference recap. Uh, I'll be down there the last week of October. It should be pretty interesting this year, I think, in particular. Yeah, we've got uh, the writers. Uh, stri- it is a writers' conference, so I think a lot of talk is going to be about the strike that has just happened and, of course, the ongoing actor strike and just the state of the entertainment business. And that um, creative energy was held captive for so long. It's just going to... Oh, it's going to explode. We're gonna. I'm going to come back. I'll have written three movies and created two <laughs> new TV shows. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to uh, a panel that they do every year, uh, which is uh, writer's assistants. So those are entry-level jobs in the, in the TV world. Uh, so I can report back uh, to our students who are interested in those kinds of roles about what the state of the industry is, is like as they head out there. So that'll be in two weeks. But until next time, we'll see you again on CS Radio. This podcast is presented by the University of Pennsylvania Career Services, a division of University Life. It was created by Milan Kirshner and J. Michael DeAngelis. It was produced and hosted by J. Michael DeAngelis and Natty Leach and mixed and edited by Sam Pasco. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, or wherever you're listening. See you next time on CS Radio.